0: All right, guys, you heard it here first. If you go to the amusement park, the carousel, the carnival, when they open back up again, slip the guy who's running the the uh, Ferris wheel a few bucks. And, uh, you know, maybe he'll uh, make sure the Ferris wheel's broke down for you when you're at the top. That way she's got no choice but to talk to you. Hey, we all gotta do what we can. You know, uh... Walking around at the uh, carnival. I don't know, Max just got me thinking about this stuff. I can almost smell the popcorn. You know, when I was talking to him. You know, it makes me long for a different time and well, I don't know if those times are coming back, but I still got that Bay Beach up in Green Bay. Maybe we'll go up there and I used to take my kids up there all the time and I have been there in a while. It's been there since the fifties. Yeah, now that they got the Elvis roller coaster up there, which I think they added in 2011 or 2009, you know, I'll have to go check it out. Ride the roller coaster that Elvis rode? Come on now, that sounds like an adventure. And like Max said, people go from all over the world. So I guess that's something I'm going to have to try. Alright, let's get on with the show. Here we go. Your mind
1: on the open road with Kingfish right here.
0: Well, you know, you think about it. I mean, the, the car, how many relationships started off by a young couple walking through the, you know, the, the, you know, the Midway and, you know, the guy went in the bear for his girl and, you know, and, and you know, because as a young guy, when you're broke, you can go to the carnival, you can spend, you know, you know it doesn't cost you for you know you're not spending tons of money and you could walk around and talk and have a good time and be surrounded by people and it's a safe environment for the girl because you're out in public it's not like you're in a movie theater or something it's a it's a great way how many couples in america started off by going to the carnival or going to the circus you know places like that quite a few
1: stuck at the top of the ferris wheel
0: Oh, amen, brother. That's, that's that's like you get stuck up there and it's like, oh, thank you so much. You know, Shit, you I so got much. I got
1: I got family members who who basically basically paid their paid their rent when they were younger, taking money from guys with girls so that the Ferris wheel would get stuck at the top. So, I mean, that's like, you know, one of the classic date things in our culture.
0: You know that's that's awesome. It it but those things are, you know, they're going away. You know, unfortunately, or it's just you know I think they'll always be there in some way. But it's it's yeah, just so uh, the gondola it's wheel not getting, like it used to be.
1: Getting stuck at the top of of a Ferris wheel on a gondola wheel is not the same as getting stuck stuck at the top of the Ferris wheel on an old fashioned wheel with the regular seats that they all used to have.
0: Oh, absolutely! Maybe. It's not even close to the same. It's like if you're in a gondola, it's almost like you're in a little room. But when you're on the old-fashioned seats, it's like you're out in the open. It's like, you know, you got the wind blowing through your hair. You know, you can feel it. And it's just it's just the, there's just something about it. You know, it's it's just so uh, it's just something about it. You know what I mean, Max? I mean, you lived it.
1: Yeah, Yeah. it's different. And it's it's one of those things that you're going to, eventually you're going to have to go to, you're going to have to go to small amusement parks and and some of the smaller county fairs to find an actual Ferris wheel or who knows, maybe it'll become a thing. Somebody will start turning Ferris wheel seats into front porch swings. I don't know. Uh, but you I do know, know the Chicago wheel has pretty much replaced the old style Ferris wheel.
0: Oh, I've seen the the one here at the state fair. The thing is huge and you go up it, but it's just, I don't know. It's like you're in a room. It's just not the same, you know, it's just not the same. uh, uh, if you had a choice of all the rides since you you know let's face it you're an expert you grew up on this stuff you put it together you built it you you set it up you ran it you know all this stuff if you had a favorite ride to run what would it be and what would be your favorite ride that you actually would ride and you know like something that you would ride and like maybe think of your parents or something when you were a kid or you know or, or would bring back memories from when you were a kid driving through the carnival what would it be
1: Right. Well, at first, I need to preface this by saying that while I have helped set up and take down rides and I've been in the business all my life, I'm not a big fan of any ride that makes me go upside down. So my favorites are the the old Scrambler or the Sizzler before the mm-hmm. before the um, oh crud, I can't think of what they call the one now where it not only turns, but it raises up while you're riding it. Uh, but I, I love I love the the traditional tilt the world. Uh, bumper cars and the, the original scrambler, which they call the twist or the grass or or a grass mower over in the UK. Those are my favorite kind of rides. I just, I don't enjoy going upside down and I've never really been a fan of uh, roller coasters, but I think that's probably because I've, you know, I've just, just this, the, I just really don't, I feel disoriented. And I think some of that is because of not being able to see where the car is going next. So if I had somebody to describe what was going to happen next, then you know that might help that might change things. As far as rides to operate, a couple of my favorites aren't around anymore at all, although wisdom has done wisdom tried to bring back the 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 caterpillar, but uh I like we we used to have a ride called the Mad Bomber, and it was kind of like the uh Oh, uh, let's see. In the UK, they call it the flying clowns. Uh, what is, basically, what you would do is is you had these you had these round round bucket tubs with a wheel in the middle that people could spin, and they were attached to a chain. The center of the ride would spin, so the tubs would be on the side uh, stretched out at the end of the chains as the center turn, and people would spin those tubs and to me it's that way because it was the first ride. I was the first adult ride. I was ever allowed to operate by myself. And my dad actually showed me how to run it properly. It was, uh, it used a gas motor instead of an electric motor. So you had to ease it up to the full speed and then ease it back down to the, to the stop location. And just, you know, him feeling like he could trust me to run that big piece of equipment is a, is a great memory, uh, Caterpillar, my dad and my uncle had one of those in the 70s. And if you've seen a Himalaya, a Flying Bobs, it's one of those rides where the cars go up and down over hills as they're going around the the center circle. But the difference with the Caterpillar is is it was built with canvas that the operator could pull down and create a tunnel effect while the ride was going. So you're going, you know, you're going probably – 15, 20 revolutions per minute around a circle, which is, you know, 70 plus miles an hour when you when you average it out over the distance you're going. You're going up and down these hills, and then all of a sudden you're in total darkness. And the other thing about that ride is when the Caterpillar was going, the ride operators used to jump on and off of the cars as it was running. And my Uncle Albert actually broke his ankle one year trying, trying to do that with the rest of the help. So it's one of those rides uh, that ha- has good memories for me, even though I've never ridden it and never had to help set it up or take it down. But it was, you know, it was part of my family's history. So those would be the two rides that I would, would say. And then, of course, I'll always have a soft spot for that old Miler coaster because I got to set it up and take take it down every week. And I got to get good and dirty and greasy when, you know, they really didn't want me to get dirty and greasy every week. So... You know, one of one of my favorite memories with that coaster was one week we were in two towns. The some of our rides were in one town, some of our stuff was in in one sixty miles up the road. And in the morning, I helped set up the coaster. In the afternoon, I went over to the next town to operate my kids' game, and I didn't have time to get all the grease off of me. So what what I did was I went into the bathroom and using grease remover called Gojo. I got rid of the grease on my arms and my legs that extended past the hem of my shirt sleeve or my pants. So if oh. they could see the skin, we could. I cleaned the grease off, and that was kind of a common thing we would do to make opening. You know, if if the skin was covered by cloth, then it didn't need to be washed right away.
0: How long would it take you to uh, to to assemble and, and disassemble a coaster? I imagine, you know. Well, that, our coaster
1: uh, had our coaster had 16 pieces of track, so it took as long as it took for people to walk from the trailer to that piece of track spot and back, so we would do it uh, with three people, we'd do it in about two hours, and that would be two average-sized guys on one side of of a piece of track and me on the other side of the piece of track, and I would always carry the piece of track my side, I would always carry it with, with just my left arm and Nobody ever asked. They always just assumed, you know, Max must be really strong. He's carrying that with just the one arm. And somebody finally asked me about it. I said, no, what it is, is that if I use both arms, I've got to walk sideways. And that puts more strain on my legs and my back. I said, but if I use just the left arm, I can stand up straight. I can get I can keep my feet under me and follow the piece of track as opposed to having just to, to kind of dance with the piece of track. So it was like it's just so much easier to, do, to use just the one arm. But it was with anybody else, it would take uh, four people, two on each side. But when I was there and, you know, you, we've talked about blind sports before I came back to the carnival business after I worked for the Internal Revenue Service for a few years and I played beat baseball in Oklahoma City. And at that time, their team was known as the Oklahoma City Bombers because it was before Timothy McVeigh. And I still have this old yellow jersey with the number 25 on it that they gave me when I was part of, that, part of their team. And we used to say, OK, Max, you're our 12th man. If you have to help us set up and take down something really bad has happened, you know, that shirt's got places on it the grease still won't come out of.
0: <laughs> i know i know how that goes uh especially with driving you know truck you get that stuff on you and it's it's not so much that you can get it off yourself but you can definitely transfer it around you know, it's, it hits your yeah. shirt then it's on your seat then it's on the wheel then it's on you know uh, it's a nightmare
1: yeah it's like the it's like the male equivalent of glitter
0: oh it, 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 it you know the, the i i can't stand glitter it's just for the same <laughs> reason I know exactly what you're. talking about. That's a good way to put it, Max. Because it's like yeah, it is, it's, the,
1: off, it's it's like you know, know that's the that would be the, that would be the way I would explain it to women. This is just like glitter, you know. This is like what men get when they work around cars. It's the same thing as what happens to women when they or or men when they're involved in craft projects. Same thing. Once you get it on you, it's hard to get it off without getting it on something else first.
0: Oh, and it's and you know what you're gonna and there's always that one spot on the back of your shirt that you can't see. And then you know you don't know it's there, and you can't feel it. And then as soon as you sit down, it's like, ah, oh, you got to be kidding! And it's, you're never going to get that <laughs> stuff off, it's, it's especially that. And I know what you're talking about that nice thick grease. You know, it's that thick stuff that you use everywhere. That's going to be, you know, for like we use on the fifth wheels for the trucks. That stuff yeah. is everywhere. And now I
1: have, have yet to meet, I, and I have yet to meet a showman who ever thought that less grease on a piece of steel was better
0: well imagine grease is your best friend man i mean because you're setting this thing up but when you're let me ask you this i was just thinking so you're putting up this track you know you got the curves you got the straightaways you got the dips and everything and so you're putting up the track okay you got it you got it assembled but when you're putting it away i imagine everything it's like a puzzle everything has to be put back exactly the right way for it to fit on the trucks
1: it has to go back exactly the reverse of how it came off the truck yeah and there it's not so much anymore, but used to, there was an artistry to what we called racking a ride. Because, you know, once upon a time, there weren't all these trailer-mounted pieces of equipment like there are now. So once upon a time, you would buy a ride from the factory. Say you bought a tilt-a-whirl or an octopus or a, a paratrooper, and you would have to find a semi-trailer or two semi-trailers and figure out a way to put it on the trailer's so that you could take it off and assemble it and put it back on. And so there was a a real art, and people actually became well-known in the industry for uh, deciding what order stuff goes on and off of a trailer. And there was even a time when you would refer refer to a particular ride by the person who, uh, who had racked it for travel the first time. So, you know, nowadays, though, almost everything is – is either trailer mounted or partially trailer mounted, but you know, then you have these people that have these, you know, these spectacular rides that are semi-portable, where they play three, four weeks at a stretch, and then they move to the next town or state. And some of those people have to have cranes and forklifts, and uh, you know, and large numbers of, of people on the payroll. My my brother Michael, who lives in Florida, drives for he was driving for Perrine and now he's driving a cement mixer because it allows him to stay closer to home more often. Uh, he wants for, for about 10 years, he moved the rides for Floyd and Baxter amusements there. He moved it. He was responsible for their independent ride operation and he moved a space roller uh, and five other rides. One of them was a wave swinger and, you know, his one of his biggest, uh, one of his biggest problems was when they would get to the next state or town, was arranging for the for the use of the cranes so he could start the process of setting up those big rides. So yeah, there's an order to it. There's an art to it. Uh, if you get something out of sequence, or if you don't uh, completely connect, fasten, tighten down something before you go to the next step, you can cause a whole heck of a lot of trouble. I I remember one time my dad got hurt and this was when we just had one ride we had a ride through spook house in the in the late 70s and he got hurt one week and we tore it down by ourselves and we did not realize or somebody didn't realize that we had removed all of the uh the bolts in the pieces of track that connected the floor it had a floor that folded down so it was like an accordion it would fold down out of the trailer. And you would attach small pieces of track to make sure so that you had an electric connection from the beginning to the end of the track for the ride. Well, when it came time to fold it back up, since we had never took it down or put it together without my dad being there, we left those pieces of extra track still connected to the pieces that folded up. So when they folded up, they bent them puppies and we had to have them all replaced at a machine shop. That was not fun.
0: Oh, that's, you know, that's, that's hilarious. You know, the, these, you know, these things that, you know, that, like your dad, you know, it's like this guy has this information on how to do this thing and nobody thinks anything about it until he's not there to do it. And then it's like, oh, what do we do? You know, dad's <laughs> not here anymore. You know, you know, that thing where we all just didn't, we, could, we nobody thought to ask him. It's like, oh gosh, you know, okay. Oh, we gotta figure this out. Oh, you know, that kind of stuff. I think that's hilarious. But that's yeah. happening more and more with with a lot of things. Like uh for us up here in Wisconsin, we have the SS Badger. It's the oldest it's a coal fired steamship that's a passenger ship, and they don't make these things anymore. And when a part gets broken, they have to take it apart and figure out how to put it how to do it. And sometimes I imagine it's not easy. May I make a suggestion
1: too? Can I I maybe make you a hero? Um, Let's do it. There's a a company in the UK that operates an entire steam-powered Midway. They've since added a few electrical motor-driven rides, but they have people that have been in that family for five, six generations that have been operating steam-powered rides since steam was first added to amusement equipment. So if... I had something that ran off of steam power, and it broke. Those would be the folks I would go look to, even though they're not in the shipbuilding or ship operations. My guess is that steam engines are a matter of scale. If you understand how a small one works, you can probably tell people what they need to know about a bigger one.
0: That so the whole carnival, the whole thing is run by steam.
1: Yep, they're down to about two thirds of the of the equipment now is run by steam. But at one time of uh, about Five, six years ago, the entire Midway. Um, they're now, like I say, down to about two-thirds of their equipment still runs on steam. And actually, the story about the first time steam was ever added to a ride in the United in the UK is kind of funny. In in America, we call America round a carousel or vice versa. In the UK, they call America round a galloper. You want to guess why they call it You want to guess yeah, why, why they call them a Galloper? Because the first time they attached a steam-powered motor to a carousel, it ran so fast that the people riding it had to hang on for dear life. A few of them were even thrown clear of the ride. Nobody thought that they would have to adjust the torque from 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 the steam engine to slow down the speed of the carousel. Because before then, they were all turned either by people power or by animal power. So they started calling them gallopers because that's what happened the first time they attached a steam engine to a carousel. Or so my friends in the UK tell me.
0: Oh, I never heard of that. Where was the first carousel built?
1: Now that I couldn't tell you. And I really feel bad because I should know my history better than I do. Uh, I know that the first carousels built here in the US were built by the Philadelphia Toboggan Company. But there were a lot of carousels brought here from from europe before
0: then are they
1: still yeah, making Philadelphia's a no no they're no longer making carousels they quit when carousels stopped being when horses stopped being carved by craftsmen that's when they stopped building carousels
0: oh, when, when
1: carousel horses stuff. yeah when carousel horses went to being done in cast aluminum and cast in fiberglass and or being made to where there was no real artistry, artistry required. You know, it was just a machine cutting out a rough figure of a horse. They stopped building carousels.
0: Well, when you, you know, when you see the old wooden, you know, carousel horses and you see the artistry in it and you run your hands along there, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's, there's something magical about it, you know?
1: Yeah. And I agree with you. And that's, that's why I'm one of the, re, one of the things I really have on my list in the future uh, is, I want to spend some time visiting some of the the show people in the UK because uh, here in the U.S. and in Canada and Australia, it's pretty common that a family will own an entire show. They'll own 20, 30, sometimes as many as 60 rides, and they take care of everything by themselves. But in the UK, what happens is, is that the events on the ground and they sell the rights to operate a particular ride game or food concession on that ground to the to the showman. And those rights have to be paid for every year and the, and oh. the rights can be ha- handed down and are handed down in people's wills to the next generation of the family so they can keep putting up their their them or their cotton candy stand on that same location every year. Well, in the UK, very seldom do you have an entire event Operated by rides and games from one family, so since most families only own a few rides, they take care of them really well. And my brother went over to the Netherlands in the early two thousands to help his boss import a new ride from from uh, from Mondial, company, famous, uh, big time ride manufacturer. And when he was over there, he got to do some traveling. He said, Max. I'm seeing rides that were built in the thirties and they look better than some of the stuff that we're, that, that we've got here in the U S that was, that rolled off the factory last year. And, you know, rides with wooden vehicles on them, rides with steam power, rides that, you know, like chair, like, like just average old swing rides that, you know, the people who owned them could verify they were built in the twenties, the thirties, you know, so Since they don't have so many pieces of equipment to take care of, they take better care of them. And so I would really love to go over there. The other thing they have in the UK we don't have in the U S is they have a unified showman's museum that's operated by the showman's guild. And so there's a lot more of their horse, their history that's been preserved. And while I won't call them friends, I am at least acquainted with people like Billy Manning, uh, Sterling, Danter, and some of these people, their their families have been in the amusement business for six, seven generations. Some of them can trace their ancestry back to the kings and queens when uh, the only carousel would have involved a menagerie of live animals, you know. And nowadays, some of them have their own, they not only have their, you know, the fancy Ferris wheels and carousels and stuff, some of them have their own movie production companies, and one even has their own roads. They have, they have uh, asphalt-covered, steel-framed road that loads on trailers. And if they go somewhere where the ground is is too soft to get their trailers out, they actually put a temporary road out to run their trailers on, so they can set up and take down without getting bogged down and having to call records.
0: Oh, you know? I never, I never thought about that. But well, wait a minute. Did you just say that they used to have carousels with live animals on them? Yeah, if you go back to, like, the
1: 1600s or earlier, yeah, the the carousels would have been really more of a menagerie pushing a circular uh, frame. Kind of like a, you know, if you've ever seen the thing they use, uh, like the pony ring to train horses to, uh, you know, to follow follow that uh, bit that's on the end of that pole that goes around the circle – it would have been something like that, but with like a horse, you would have had horses and donkeys, uh, depending on where, how, uh, how successful, you know, they may have had animals from other countries, you know, uh, you might've seen zebras or drafts for all I know, but yeah, you would have uh, a menagerie of live animals that would walk around in a circle and people would pay to get on their backs.
0: Oh my Oh my God. it's amazing. I, I, I guess. You know, especially because back in the 1600s, you might have, like you said, they bring in a zebra and nobody's ever seen a zebra before. <laughs> you know, and they're like, what the hell is yeah. that? Is it painted? You know, whereas at least, you know, at least we know, you know, most people know what a zebra looks like or camel yeah. or whatever. I think that's fascinating. Yeah. But even, but, but that you, I imagine like going to the zoo, you go to the zoo today, you can go on the camel ride in Milwaukee Zoo. And that's still pretty fascinating. But you know, but back in the day when nobody even knew what it was, it was like, oh my goodness, what is that thing? I don't know. Let's go for a ride. My uh, yeah. uh, my grandfather used to. Um, he uh, was an, an Well, he didn't actually train the animals. He was he raised a bunch of animals and they used to rent them out to the movie studios. So when I went down to his house, it was kind of like going to the zoo. He had monkey. What did he have? <laughs> Monkeys. Uh, uh, he had an ele- baby elephant at one time. Yeah, I think he had a camel. I'm not sure if he had a camel or not. I never saw it. Uh, a bunch of reptiles. The monkeys were the big thing. Monkeys are, yeah, very, not, yeah. The, right.
1: yeah. But you know, it's that's been one of the really cool things is learning some of the history of the people that I have worked with to either, uh, either sell equipment or just to you know to start b- building relationships with people. You know, not really knowing if and when them you might need that person or you might be able to help that person. So you know getting to know something about these these famous show families from the UK and and Europe has been has been entertaining it's you know it's one of those things where my curiosity was you know would, would re- really came uh, came to the front when I started doing this because it seemed like every time somebody wanted to some wanted to sell something you know i was basically having to learn about something i mean like I had never heard of a ride called a ski jump until somebody listed one on my website. And, you know, uh, so many families that have been doing this for generations, more so in the UK than here in the U S we haven't really done much for our history in the, in the business, but we haven't really had one national organization for people in the show business. We've got several organizations and they, they rarely they rarely work together as far as protecting the history or advocating for the business.
0: Well, you know, I would imagine, you know, and like I started this off with, I said, this is a hidden world. To you, it's not a hidden world because you grew up with it as a kid. To me, it's a hidden world because there's things in this world and there's a language like you have a certain – I'm sure if you were to talk to other carnival guys, you would talk a language and I would just be sitting there going, what did he just say? <laughs> you know, because you have you would probably slip into it you know, without even knowing I, 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 about it. Every yeah, industry has their hidden hidden way of speaking. You know, you know that's but true when you get them. together with these Yeah, when you get together with these groups and these guys, you know, you probably start talking to stuff and not even realizing it. I'm sure there's different, you know, different regions talk differently, but you know, you yeah. you you get this nobody understands you or what you grew up with because this was literally your childhood, this this way of life.
1: Yeah, that's true. That is true. Uh, one thing that I have done with my website is when I started it, I thought I really want this to be different than the other websites because when I started, there were quite a few websites where people could sell equipment. And I said one thing I wanted it to be was international because a lot of them just focused on the U.S. and Canada. The other thing is, is I wanted to have a broad definition of the amusement industry, and so I, while well, I grew up in the carnival business. I didn't grow up with amusement parks. We had Astro World here in Texas, but I basically had to learn the terminology of the amusement park. And besides carnivals and amusement parks, I've had to make acquaintance with circus pe- circus owners or circus operators and a lot of the people in that industry were even even, you know, 10 years ago when I was starting the Midway Marketplace still weren't, you know, totally okay with the idea of being friends with a with a carnival owner or or an equipment broker. But beyond that, I've had to learn about zoos and aquariums because quite a few of those have attractions now. Uh, I've even had to learn a little bit about museums because some of them have have simulators and and rides that are based on uh, you know where they can say that it's an, a demonstration of the laws of physics, maybe you know. So um, you have the new four, five, and six D experiences where. You know, it's basically an amusement park type simulator, but it's teaching a science or history based message. I've I've had to learn about uh, pumpkin patches and agritourism businesses and uh, party hire companies. It's there's there's been a lot of things that I in my world growing up in a carnival person had uh, to learn that there's a whole big wide world of amusement industry out there that I really didn't grow up with. And there were times when it was much easier to have conversations with carnival people or showmen than it was to have conversations with any of these other groups who also had need to buy and sell equipment.
0: Well, I would imagine, you know, you, your whole industry is based on the vibe of the people and getting them excited and getting them involved and getting people, you know, creating a magical experience for people. And so I imagine, you know, being a showman, like you were telling me earlier, your dad said, be a showman. And it seems to me like being a showman was, was, you know, there's an art to that. There's a talent to that, that most people just don't have or never will have. And I think it's, you know, you're, you're, you're an actor on the stage in a lot of ways.
1: I like to think of it as, um, as being a storyteller, because I think that at his heart, when he would say "showman," he a lot of times that meant the story that you're going to tell the event organizer, or that people tell to themselves when they come to the Carnival Midway. and And he was a really good storyteller. You you know, you could have asked just about any police officer who ever stopped one of his pieces of equipment going down the road. You know, he was, or anybody who ever came to the Midway to inspect our rides. You know, he was a great storyteller, which is. Is one of the reasons why even now I have trouble accepting that I'm a really good storyteller because I've seen some of the stories that man told. I mean, um, he once told a DPS officer in Texas that the trailer, our, our ride at the time was on, was in a bad way because somebody had stolen it and wrecked it into a nearby lake. And that if, uh, if the DPS officer would just let him get the ride home, he would replace the trailer and the, and you know, that he knew how bad it was he was going to fix it as at his soonest opportunity forget the fact that that's the trailer the ride came to us on it was the trailer it was on when 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 he was stopped that day it was the trailer it was on 5 years later when we finally sold it to one of our cousins you know there was just
0: <laughs> i love it
1: you know um See, my favorite my favorite personal experience with him and and you know you'll probably you probably I don't know if you're going to cringe or laugh cuz you are a professional truck driver um, we, for a few years had one of those big fiberglass slides and it mounted on a 53 foot long semi-trailer. Um, uh, the slide was yellow with pink and purple striping on it. It was bright 53 foot semi and me and him were making the last trip to home of Louisiana from Houston, Texas. Uh, and we don't have, we're, we're running on 72 hour permits, which by the definition, A commercial vehicle cannot run on permits, but we were running on 72 hour permits or 30 day permit, excuse me, because there was some there was some leniency in a 30 day permit here in Texas. We didn't have an inspection sticker. We didn't have a registration sticker. Uh, I found out later. Thankfully, I didn't know it at the time. The proof of insurance we gave the 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 people who stopped us was printed on our printer at our house and was expired at the time. But we we're headed to home of Louisiana to play a spot a town where we had made a lot of money the year before. We figured if we got there, everything'd be good when the week was over. So he says, "Max, I know a place where we can kind of sneak off the the main freeway and and we can get uh, out across the ship town and headed towards Louisiana without seeing any inspections." And I said, "Okay, sounds good to me." So we're doing 55, trying to be. Trying to, you know, to mind our own business and hope nobody notices us. And he goes to take his shortcut and we pull up in there. There's a mobile inspection station. There's uh, guys in white coats and brand new semi trailers that have already got red stickers on them, meaning that they are out of service until something is fixed. And we roll in there with our carnival rig with this bright ass yellow slide on the trailer and we got nothing. I mean, I think our lights were working but I, I wouldn't swear to it. And my dad tells the guy, he goes, look, man, this ride was parked in the fourth ward. The fourth ward last week was where we were set up at last. The, uh, the, the, the storm that came through damaged part of the ride, so we had to take it down. He said, I know that you know we, we don't have anything we're supposed to have, he said, but look, I couldn't leave it where it was because I owe the finance company if something happens to this ride, I'm totally responsible for it. They will take it out of my bank and out of my bottom. So he said, but look, I understand you guys are just doing your job. So do whatever you have to do. If you have to put me out of service, fine. At least it'll be here where it's safe. And my dad said, um while he's having this conversation with the with the main guy from the inspection station, he says he sees all these other truck drivers just looking at him. They're waiting to see what's gonna happen. And he says the uh, guy takes our papers and walks away and he walks back he walks away and he walks back and he comes up to the door of the cab and he hands the papers back to my dad he says mr ivy let's just say that you need to get this truck out of here and if i ever see it again you need to have some papers on this thing and we uh we headed out of the inspection station slowly hoping they weren't going to yell at us and tell us to come back and my uh my dad says you know max them other truck drivers they're stretched they're shaking their heads and they're scratching their overalls they're looking at us going what in the heck it just happened here he said because there ain't no way in the world they should have let us go he said but they did he said but look max we ain't gonna sneak no more he said we're gonna head out i-10 we're gonna wind this thing up to 75 like we belong here we ain't stop until we get to homer and that's exactly what we did but i mean the whole time I'm figuring yeah, I'm fixing yeah. to get in a night jail. I'm fixing I'm fixing to get to have to call somebody to come get me. You know, um, but those are the kind of he would he would put on that all oh, shucks, good old boy from South Carolina. I'm just working hard trying to make a living. You know, I understand you're just doing a job. If you got to put you know if you got to write me a ticket or put me out of service, go ahead. And most of the time. They would either let him go or they would write him a smaller ticket than they should have wrote him. Uh, Our equipment was never, you know, top of the line, but it was always safe.